Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. I think Isaiah was onto something when he penned those words millennia ago. But there seems to be one topic that, according to many, should not be included in the discussion list if that reasoning is to take place in church. That topic is politics. Let's talk with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about the political pulpit and what should be our attitude when we're tempted to combine worship with Washington. Lincoln, why can a preacher look down at his or her flock and express an opinion on this delicate and often incendiary subject? What's the harm? Well, in a way, a preacher can. It depends how you phrase the question. Okay. You gave me a loophole that politics is a rather broad term, and, and many uh, items of public concern mm-hmm. come under the rubric of politics. Mm-hmm. What the preacher cannot, by law, or at least in theory, although we see uh, many abuses on this, yes. the preacher should not speak about partisan political concerns, about a political agenda, about support of a candidate, say, or, or of a party. You know, that leads to trouble constitutionally, and I believe biblically it, it will start to subvert the true worship of God. But on major issues, uh, I wish the preachers spoke more about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, in certain conservative religious circles, they talk a lot about uh, social justice and, and, and the morality of things like uh, abortion. Mm. And I don't think that's wrong. I just think they've thoroughly politicized their treatment of that and made it a, a matter of pressure tactics. And, of course, they've chosen sides in the party war mm-hmm. where they become auxiliaries to a, a larger political agenda. And they don't realize. I think... Many religious people with a great concern in this one area particularly have become dupes of the political machine. That's the best way I I can say it. And periodically, every election season, there are some murmurs from some uh, unnamed government sources that certain religious groups might be uh, risking their tax-free status Mm -hmm. by speaking too politically. Usually, it's those that speak too politically in an opposing sense to the prevailing uh, party. Uh, They're not as bothered by their supporters, but the principle remains the same. But politics is very uh, fraught to mix with spirituality and, and, as you say, the preacher from the pulpit. Yeah. You know, it seems to me that that the baby sometimes gets tossed out with the bathwater here when we say, you know, we need to be careful about politics and the pulpit. We need to really identify what you just did, what it is about politics that should not be in our churches, and what it is about politics that should be in our churches. We as Christians should be very aware and very up-to-date on what's happening in Washington and all the Washingtons around the world, but we should not be coerced, we should not be led or guided in these topics. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you know, let's go back to something that, that, that I remember, like, unfortunately, like it was yesterday. The time's gone quick. But as a young person, I came to the United States during the civil rights era. Yes, yes. And I, I remember Martin Luther King's speeches. I remember his marches on Washington. I remember, of course, his assassination. And he and the Southern Baptist Convention, wasn't it? Southern yes. Baptist Convention. Yes. They were clearly in the thick of political activity. Mm-hmm. 
and at the time many thought that, that was improper. It wasn't without some controversy within the church, but I think that that was a, uh, a, a biblical moral crusade that was not spiritually inappropriate. I, you know, I wouldn't want to argue that every single thing that they did or, or that was involved with that that was, you know, within the confines. But as a movement, it was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I wish more pastors and preachers uh, uh, spoke out for social justice mm-hmm. and spoke out uh, against anomalies and the way uh, the, the society is choosing to govern itself that might be uh, uh, immoral. Why not? Yeah. I mean, that, that speaks to power. I mean, how could that differ? The tone of the address might not always be uh, expressed the same way, but I mean, think about John the Baptist, mm-hmm. essentially standing outside the palace <laughs> and and talking about wickedness. Yes. You could almost imagine Paul's statement, you know, wickedness in high places, yes. spiritual wickedness there. Yes. There's a time when we're to speak on political things uh, when when they have a, a moral cast, but I just believe that you've you've entered onto enchanted ground as a church, as a, as, a, as an organisation particularly, when you. Uh, sign up uh, with the, the, the political leaders and parties and for the rest of their agenda too. And, and, and I often quote Ellen White as one of the early Adventist pioneers, and in particular her concern for the temperance movement. I mean, she, she couldn't have been more active on that, and the yes. Seventh Adventist Church had a strong bent that way. Uh, but they did pretty good, I think, in maintaining that issue is what they were involved with. Uh, even when they... Uh, spoke on the same platform on occasion with other groups who had other agendas, including a National Sunday Lord. They never crossed the line and gave them a blanket endorsement on their other activities. Uh, They were there because they were speaking to the morality of personal behavior, uh, of alcoholism, and how the need of society, there was a need of society slash political activity uh, by those responsible politicians to deal with this. Let's get practical here. I'm going, to, I'm going to put you on the pulpit, all right? You're in Maryland, the state of Maryland. You live in the state of Maryland. And there is a vote coming up. When this is all true, this actually happened. There's a vote coming up on uh, same-sex marriage in Maryland. Do we want this? If you wanted to get together a bunch of voters and go to the polls and fight this same-sex marriage thing in Maryland, wouldn't you, as a, as a caring, loving pastor, say, okay, let's all meet on, on whatever election day it was, Tuesday or whatever, and let's get in the bus, let's go over and vote this thing down. Let's not let this happen. Here you are, a political person with a very firm belief in this thing trying to get people together to go and vote it down. Is there something wrong with that? Should you not do that kind of thing? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'd probably get letters on it. I don't think so. That's not the same as as, uh, giving a blanket endorsement for a party or a uh, candidate. That's not the same as uh, handing out a voter list, Mm. because those voter lists usually are blacklisting or vilifying some politicians because they were inconsistent in their moral stance or that they usually more anymore whatever else they did they voted the wrong way on on a litmus issue yes, yes, yes. <laughs> which which is very problematic and they tend to play political hardball on it there might be a consequence for doing what you said but i think done as you explained it that's yeah. a church acting uh, according to their shared moral conscience okay. it would probably be wrong if the pastor required it of his members or if it was a condition of membership that you vote that way, then, you know, then you're really getting into okay, enchanted ground. All but, right. but people that have a common view mobilizing to act on it, 
fine and that's that's it's it's informed my morality it's not individual political activity okay. it's working within their their rights as a citizen it's dealing with and, issues and, and again back to the seventh day adventist church yeah. they did precisely what you're saying really on the prohibition issue and, and elamite went so far as to say to seventh day adventists who uh, uh had developed a very uh a uh, rigorous biblical view of the sacredness of Saturday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Seventh-day Sabbath. Mm-hmm. She said, this is such an important issue. Vote on the Sabbath if necessary. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'm getting it here now. If, if I was a pastor, and, and, and I know that there are pastors who listen to this program, and I'm sure sometimes they're wondering, what on earth can I say and what shouldn't I say to my congregation to, to make sure that I am not mixing church and state here? If I was a pastor, I can deal with issues. I can talk about morality. I can talk about uh, temperance. I can talk about those issues that are strong in my heart, and I can show how the Bible supports or counters those kinds of issues. But I can't say to my flock, go vote for so-and-so. Uh, go vote for this party. Be a member of this party, because they sort of support these issues. You you say what you want to say based on the issues, but you let the, the your your congregation then choose the person or people that they believe will best bring those issues to light and deal with them in a Christian Christ-like way. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely, but okay. I'd be a little more careful about the person. Okay, <laughs> I just can't imagine uh, a church the appropriateness of a church leader or, or in a pulpit or in any other communication of the members saying. We should elect this individual because he will do this. Right. I mean, that's clearly getting it. We should vote an issue, not the individual nor the party. Okay. And right. and nor can a church require it any more than they can require anything more than doctrinal uh, conformity, if you like, as a condition of membership. But you know, I mean, that's that's a whole different issue sure. because it's not really uh, forcing anyone's will because it's a matter of free association. But the church is not to be in the the. Uh, you know, the forcing or requiring mode on anything. All right. Very good. <laughs> or else you get back into the Inquisition mentality. Yes, and yes. and, and, and we, there's plenty of arguments against that. guest today is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're talking about the political pulpit today. And Lincoln, I think that uh, we are in a situation now where we need to look at the road ahead. We have seen uh, our president in operation for the last four years. We just uh, re-elected him. And President Obama is looking forward to the next four years what has been his track record in religious liberty issues? What are the trends you see developing? And if you would stand up in front of us and tell us what issues we need to well, look at, let us know. Well, we can discuss it a little bit. And, and, but I need to give a uh, disclaimer first about President Obama, his strengths and weaknesses, uh, which were exhaustively discussed during the campaign <laughs> yes. and, and settled to the point of him being reelected. Yes. And I've said for, for many uh, years that some of the uh, most problematic religious liberty uh, developments 
on, on both on, on establishment, which is uh, government sponsorship of religion and religious activity, mm-hmm. and some on free exercise, which is how you go about practicing your faith. Some of those developments have become uh, compromised and, and things set in motion that are not totally dependent at all on one party or one president to cause the problem is that many things, very long term, but many things that, that even date to the last presidency have, have gotten worse under Obama, but it's not really that he initiated it. He hasn't redressed it or, mm, okay. or, or yeah. undone it. So it's whatever I say, I couldn't directly most times damn President Obama. And, and you know, I've got to be careful. Uh, recently, someone called me up after one of my editorials where I took certain uh, issue with President Obama's statement before the election that he was now in favor of gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's problematic to a Bible-believing Christian. You, you could have an issue seeing that as a sign of uh, increasingly immoral society. It's not a church-state thing per se because uh, the church is concerned about keeping doctrinal and biblical behavior within its members and evangelizing those others out there, but you can't condemn the others because they think differently. So this is a society that's made a wrong choice, but, you know, that's their right. What I criticized the president for was using a biblical basis for something thoroughly unbiblical. Uh, So that was problematic. Just to reiterate, he said that uh, he was now for gay marriage because the Bible says that, you know, you should have charity for other people and that God loves everyone type thing. And sort of use the Bible against itself, which many people do anyhow <laughs> within true. the church. That's true. But I just thought here, <laughs> as the leader of a, a civil uh, secular society, he's trying to give a biblical justification yeah, yeah. for something unbiblical. And so he's mixing church and state. But it didn't mean that I uh, you know, was down on every aspect of it. But this person called up and they said, you know, you shouldn't criticize the president. This administration watches things and they're, they're sensitive to criticism. Well... <laughs> That's unfortunate. I hope they're not so sensitive that they can't uh, hear someone qualify from a religious viewpoint some of those actions. No doubt they are sensitive. Whether or not more sensitive than other administrations, I don't know. But we'll speak truth as we need to. But that doesn't mean we're opposed to this administration. And all Christians are called to be good citizens and supportive of the just powers and execution of civil government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like John the Baptist, if necessary... We're going to yell a bit outside the battlement walls. (laughs) Uh, But anyhow, all of that preamble, it's worth remembering that some of the civil liberty abuses of the Bush administration, which they may or may not have had waiting in the wings. We don't know. You need to be a deep historian to find that. But we know that they appeared suddenly after Mm 9-11, a great shock to, to the American system, the body politic. But with little delay, things like the Patriot Act popped up. And you would think and hope that those extreme measures that were slid past the legislators and never explained fully to the citizenry would disappear. But instead, they've become incorporated, and and this present administration have not overturned them as many people thought. Even on the most obvious one of Guantanamo Bay, Mm -hmm. to this date, it's not been closed. Uh, The president seemed to back down. Now, you know, you'd have to argue long and hard that he had or has an agenda to, uh, you know, lock up innocent Americans. Mm. But but when you have a procedure that's outside the normal interpretation of the Constitution, outside of normally accepted international norms, and already has been shown to uh, ride roughshod over religious sensibilities 
and uh, conventions of, of, of civil liberty and citizenship. You'd think they would back off on it, but instead uh, we're going forging ahead. And, and I just read a uh, news report recently from John Whitehead, the uh, Rutherford Foundation, and a man that often writes for Liberty Magazine, although we have no connection with his organization whatsoever. Mm-hmm. He quoted President Obama in a speech in March 2007, a wonderful statement that I myself take heart from. Uh, president Obama said, I was a constitutional law professor, which means, unlike the current president, I actually respect the Constitution. <laughs> Let help get him elected. But as power tends to be, I've not seen any voluntary uh, giving up of power or prerogatives or even precedent in this administration. And that's somewhat to be expected, but it means that people of faith and conscience need to keep waving the alarm flags. Yeah. Uh, and the state of our freedoms is not the best. Yeah. Right now, most people have nothing to worry about that they're going to be dragged out of their house and shipped off somewhere. Uh, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be worried structurally because some dangerous precedents have been set that, if not now, then in the, the future and even perhaps in our lifetimes, could be used in a very uh, abusive way to anyone that the powers that be might see as a threat, whether or not they really are guilty or whether or not they're really uh, a step beyond the Constitution. Give us some examples of this, Lincoln. I know we've talked about this before, the Patriot Act and the loss of freedoms that we have in the name of protection. We're supposed to be protected by these issues. What are some of the things that, that concern you most? <laughs> the thing that's got me the most worked up lately, and it's not religious liberty per se, but all civil liberties eventually have a bearing on religious liberty. Or as uh, I remember Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State at, at present, said that religious liberty is sort of a litmus test for all civil liberties. And if you have a problem with one, you'll have a problem with the other. Something that that is just coming to light even now. First, it was um, hinted at in the uh, Defence Authorisation Act in 2012 and then revealed further by uh, FAA guidelines and, and flight paths that we're in the process of bringing home the drones. <laughs> uh, and for a number of years, people have read of, of drone strikes in, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, Yemen. In fact, they've become the crutch of much of the efforts to wipe out uh, terrorist organizations. And in countries friendlier and friendlier, at war or at peace, uh, U.S. drones are floating overhead, directed either by the CIA or out of the White House, mm-hmm. have, have on occasion... Just pushed a, they pushed a button and, and a U.S. citizen or someone not proven by any legal process to be a, a combatant, enemy or otherwise, have uh, been liquidated. Well, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to say that they were all innocent people or any of them were innocent. But that's not how Western law has, has worked in the past. And Afghanistan may be a different thing. We're in a war, state of war. But to liquidate a U.S. citizen in Yemen, a country we're not at war with, and a citizen who had never been brought to trial and probably was what they said he was, but still, this was Alawaki, an American citizen who was a, a, an imam at a mosque, actually only about five, six miles from where I work. And he wrote some incendiary uh, emails and, and, and some bad people were connected with communications that he had. So, you know, more than likely he was an enemy of the country. But there's ways to deal with them. Yeah. Liquidating from the air after two or three people in a closed room decide that 
that might be fine in that case, but it sets incredible legal precedents that you and I should be a little concerned about, particularly when this was a religious viewpoint that was taken to be threatening to the state. And I'm, I'm radical Islam is threatening to sure, the state. There's no sure. question. But who knows? I mean, if, if we were culturally, uh, set up a little culturally differently, it could be decided that anybody that's a radical activist on the anti-abortion movement is, is likely to bomb an abortion clinic and therefore should be detained by force and, and whatever. You know, there's any number of reasonable conclusions to take even from our present situation where this is dangerous. And, and President Obama has not just backed off on this stuff, he's advanced it to an amazing degree. And so we're in the process now as Rutherford gave a number to it, and I haven't read it elsewhere, but there could be up to 30,000 drones floating over the U.S. with surveillance cameras, many of them with armaments, mm-hmm. watching us day and night and, and then acting in uh, various ways uh, on secret tribunals, in essence. This, this is not the America that most people remember and want to know. Our guest today is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're talking about some of the issues that are facing us today in the political realm, and uh, we've talked about everything from the uh, four more years that we have coming from Obama and the four years that we already have from him and also the drones flying overhead. Uh, A lot of topics we're discussing today. Lincoln, as we come to the last uh, third of our program here, we just have about five, six minutes left, are there any issues that uh, in the political realm which maybe new to us that we haven't really considered that we need to look at carefully? Some red flags have been going up around the offices of Liberty Magazine that says, hey, we need to watch this carefully? Well, you, know, <laughs> you wait till the last third. <laughs> Shame <laughs> on you. Well, you know, it, I, I've always said that in the United States, in the past, recent past, and even up to the, the present, this remains uh, arguably one of the, if not the freest countries in the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's all relative, mm-hmm. relative to other countries and relative to where we once were. But many of the signs are not good. And a lot of the issues going on are not the ones that people see, the, the Ten Commandments being taken down from the wall. Those are almost, you know, we discussed earlier that that's not right. I mean, it shouldn't be publicly posted. But people see these little things. They, they haven't noticed the structural shifts. Mm. And many Christians themselves, I believe, have come to think that it's a war against secularism just because the Freedom From Religion Foundation and a few other wacko organizations are using the legal process to try to drive religion out of public places. And they are trying. There's no question that they have that agenda. But I see a growing power of certain religious interests uniting with the present emergency playing havoc with the establishment clause and and, and bringing in a true de facto American state religion. I don't think we're that far away from that sort of thing. And, And every time the war on terror catches people's attention or something happens, 
we're just that one step closer to a reflex reaction to sort of redefine ourselves as an American Christian republic. Mm-hmm. And, and the signs are all around us, I think. It's not that we're becoming more religious. That's hardly the case. The, the religious right are correct. There's increasing secularity and, and a more cynical mindset in many people, but religious identity mm. and, and the structural power of religion has never been higher in the United States. And I think uh, events are playing into the hands of, of these uh, pressure groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I see, see clouds on the horizon. Not the least, in just our recent issue, we had an article uh, with a European perspective of the Sunday Family Rest Day, as it's called, right, right. movement that's gathering the strength in Europe. Well, you know, it's, it's given a secular argument, but it, it, it meshes beautifully mm-hmm. with the uh, age-old uh, efforts of some established churches to use the power of law to enforce religious observance on what happens to be their holy day, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Protestant America once resisted mightily, you know, any uh, revisiting of the model of, of, of the medieval times. But, but it's actually coming upon us at the speed of light. And there are little tweaking evidences that that movement on the, the family rest day is, is, is starting to catch on slightly, at least with the sensibility of certain groups and even legislators in the United States. Mm. Well, one of the best ways that we as listeners and we as Christians can keep ourselves abreast of what's happening in this world, in these areas, of course, is to uh, enjoy Liberty Magazine. And I want to invite you, listener, to visit libertymagazine.org. There's a place uh, there you can subscribe to the magazine. And just as importantly, uh, you can also uh, donate to the the cause here, and uh, Liberty Magazine will send the magazine to people that they believe are needing. Who do you send to now? We do send it to some very famous people because we're, we're sending it to uh, the president's office, of course. Mm-hmm. We send it to uh, uh, senators, congressmen. I wouldn't like to say that every one of them reads it, but many of their staffers do and many of the legislators themselves, state and federal legislators, judiciary, lawyers, judges, mayors. Most public officials would get Liberty Magazine. We're sending out nearly, uh, uh, varies a bit, somewhere between 100 and 185,000 copies every issue six times a year. So we have good penetration in these thought leaders in the community. We get good feedback. Uh, you know, I'm not silly enough or, or believe you, our listener naive enough to try to tell you that, that every one of them agrees with everything we print. <laughs> that's never true with anything. But we're, we're presenting a viewpoint in front of them that's not just Adventist, but right. it's distinctively held by Adventists yes. that historically through the ages and then to the new world, religious liberty is, has been proven to be advantageous to the, to the smooth running of the state and, and religious activity, that religion from a biblical basis is central to uh, the, the, the health of the individual. And also we show from uh, legal precedent as well as uh, biblical prophetic often example that there are threats coming. Some things are predicted as inevitable but not immediately. You know, just because something's inevitable doesn't mean that it has to happen right now. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's a citizen's uh, right and obligation as well as a Christian's right and obligation to defer that evil day and to proclaim as, as the Bible says, and Jesus said, liberty throughout the land. Amen. Because Amen. we're to be spiritually free and politically free at the same time. One, one really goes with the other, even though the church and state are not to be enmeshed. Right. Very good. 
Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Thank you, Lincoln, for being with us today. Always a pleasure. And listener again, the website libertymagazine.org. I'll repeat that in just a moment. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.